this morning to be a part of it. Uh, if you're listening online, uh, you just missed something really, really great. I wish that you had been able to be here. If you're in kids' church, though, we're glad because you're probably having something really, really great there as well. And if you're listening online as a result, thanks for checking in and uh, spending some uh, time with us online. And so uh, as we get ready for Christmas, there's this thing called Advent, which is the preparation preparing it's the preparation of our hearts for the arrival of Christ. Well, it's, uh, it's like watching a movie that you already know the ending. It's kind of, it's, it's not always the same. It's not the same impact or whatever as you watch it the second, third, fourth time. Uh, and if you've done Christmas like 41 times like me, uh, it's, it, it sometimes has that thing of, oh, this is just a routine. But that's never what relationship was meant to be. It was always meant to be fresh, that there would always be something new. And I believe for that this morning as well, as we talk about something, we've talked about very uh, many, many times, and yet believe in something something fresh, something alive for, for each and every one of us, including me this morning. So I just want to start with this. Uh, I want to just start with a story. Story of uh, identical twins, twin boys. Uh, they were alike in every way, uh, except from birth, the parents could tell that one was this hope-filled, optimist, happy baby, and the other one was this pessimistic, sad, and upset child. And uh, they thought, ah, oh, that's interesting. You know, that, 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 that's what, kind of what these two, these two kids were like, identical except in that way. But as they grew, grew older, they realized that, that just, they kept getting more magnified. The, the optimist, hope-filled baby was now just like a, a, a toddler and a child and a, a young adult who was just so, so, uh, so hopeful. And on the other side, this, the pessimist just got more and more. They wanted to change his name to Eeyore. But they, they, they saw that these two kids were going in different ways, and they thought, this is not, not healthy. Uh, and so they, they booked an appointment with a doctor. They went to the doctor and said, hey, here's, what's, here's what's going on. Do you have any advice? And his advice to them was this. Yeah, okay, next Christmas, both boys want a brand new bike. So next Christmas, what I want you to do is we're going to try and level this out a little bit. I want you to give the, the pessimistic son, I want you to give him a brand new shiny bike. And I want it to be top of the line. Spend double the money on that one. And for your other son, we just got to tame him down a bit. Just give him a box of manure. That should help. And so they thought, that's strange advice, but we'll do that. And so that next Christmas, sure enough, they have the two gifts. And the one son opens the brand new bike. And as he looks at it, the first thing he says is, Ugh, thanks a lot, Mom and Dad. I'll probably break my leg the first time I ride it. The other kid, he opened his box of manure, and he right away said, sweet! He says, you can't fool me with this much manure around. There's got to be a pony somewhere. Where's the pony? Where's the pony? And I ask you, which one of those two kids would, would you rather be around? Where's the pony? Where's the pony? It's the type of... It's the type of um, Thing that we're attracted to in people, people that have hope, people that have this sense of um, uh, believing um, no matter what they're faced with, that they have this, this inner hope. There's something that, about that that we're, we're drawn to. And it, one of the themes of Christmas and Advent is this topic of hope. And yet hope, hope is not always what we think it is. Uh, lyrics in one of my favorite Christmas carols, I, I used to, this used to be my favorite, but now there's just so many good ones, so many new ones. I'm like, man, there's, there's great favorites. One of the, the, the lyrics in O Holy Night is there's, there's a thrill of hope. There's a thrill of hope. When the world is weary, when the world is um, in sin and error pining, that this thrill of hope it, it is like that moment where it doesn't matter what you're, what you're faced with. There's just something about people who have hope. And so we want to talk about that this morning because it's something that we all, we all need. We all need at different times in our life. And maybe today is a day that you need it desperately. Maybe it's a, it's a, a thing for you that uh, you need for, for others around you. But 
I want to talk about biblical hope. I want to talk about what the authors of the, 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 the New Testament documents talked about this topic of, of hope. And the definition of it is this. It's to wait for. It's to look for. It's to expect something. To wait for, to look for, to expect something. If there was a visual definition of the word hope, if you just had like the dictionary, the pictures, this is what hope would look like. So that woman's not hoping. We don't say, hey, when someone's pregnant, they're hoping. What do we say? They're expecting, right? They're expecting to have a child. She's not hoping that she's going to give birth to a Ferrari. She's like, she's expecting to give birth to a baby. It's something that she knows that is going to happen. Not yet, but soon. She might be hoping that it comes out sooner, but her expectation is that there's going to be a child. And you know, if you've ever experienced pregnancy, I have not. Uh, I've just been a close witness. But there's a thrill of that hope, of that expectancy. There's, there's a joy in the journey. There's something so exciting. You can hardly wait for, for that to, to happen, to be able to meet this new person. There's something really exciting about ex- expectation, something exciting about hope. There's also power in hope. There's a power in expectation. Uh, I think last year I shared the story with you guys of how uh, they, they wanted documents, see if they could test levels of hope. And so they did a, a, um, a study with rats, and they dropped a bunch of rats in a, in a bucket of water, and they watched as the rats drowned after an hour. Well, then they started taking the rats and dropped them in the bucket, and just before an hour was up, when they were about to drown, they'd lift them out and put them on a platform for five minutes, and then toss them back in. And every hour, they would take them out for five minutes and put them back in. Those rats, that the original ones died after an hour. The other ones would swim for days. Just thinking every time, maybe, maybe that one time they pull me out, they're going to leave me out. Just that little bit of hope would cause them to, to keep on going. And, you know, it's one thing with animals, but it's the powerful stories that you read and you hear of people, people who face like incredible odds, but simply because they have this thing called hope on the inside. I've been reading some of the stories of um, the, the people who are in the prisoner of war camps uh, during World War II, uh, just reading some of, the, some of the stories of those who'd been in Auschwitz, and they said it was, it was the ones who survived. Their stories, they would share things like when the people were brought to these prison camps, they said it wasn't the strongest ones that necessarily were going to be the ones to survive four or five years in those places. They said some people came in, and they were weaker when they came in than when they left. They said, that's weird, but there was this resolve on the inside, this thing that they said, it was hope. It was hope that caused them to say that someday my life has meaning, my life matters, I'm going to keep on going until, until I see freedom. It's not here yet, but I believe it's coming. And that hope was what carried them through, and we have their stories, and it's, it's incredible. I read a story um, this, this week as well of a little boy who was in a, in a hospital, and the teachers in the class had been trying to keep, this, keep the children uh, uh, in their classes kind of up to speed with the rest of the class. And so they found that uh, the, the, the need to send a teacher to the hospital to teach these, these kids. And so one little boy was there, and there was a teacher. It was her turn to go. And so the, she met with the, the teacher of his class, and she, she said, we're studying nouns and adverbs. Would you go and, would you go and t- um, help him with his nouns and adverbs? And so she went to the hospital to teach this little boy about nouns and adverbs. And as she walked in, she said they hadn't prepared her for what she was about to see. He was a burn victim and in incredible pain. He could barely respond to her. She, he, uh, as she came into the room, she's like, she was in shock. And so she sat down. She's like, hi, I'm so-and-so, and I'm here to tell you about nouns and adverbs. And she says his response was, 
you know, less than thrilled that she was there for that. And as he's, as he's, um, as he's laying there and she sort of goes through his lesson, she leaves and she just thinks, man, I, that just, like, I don't think I accomplished anything. I don't think I helped him at all. This boy needs way more help than what I can give. The next day she was scheduled to return. And so as she returned, the nurses stopped her and said, what did you do to that boy? And she was like, she thought, well, I, I don't know. Like, what, what do you mean what did I do? I didn't do anything to that boy. And they said, no, no, listen, you, you misunderstand. Yesterday, we, were, we thought we're going to lose this boy. He, we, just, we just didn't, didn't think that he was going to make it. And, but something happened after yesterday. What did you do? Because now he has a whole new attitude. He's like fighting to live. He's responding to treatments. What did you do? She, I, I taught him nouns and adverbs. I don't know what I did. Two weeks later, they asked the boy what happened, and he said he had given up hope at that point. It wasn't until a teacher came in to teach him about nouns and adverbs that he, he sat there and realized, he says, they wouldn't teach a dying boy nouns and adverbs. He realized, I must not be dying, and he continued to fight. There's an incredible power in hope. You know, but the thing that we, when we think about hope, I don't, I don't know if you've ever had the thought, when you think about hope, the next kind of thought sometimes is disappointment that things don't always go the way we hoped, that things don't go the way we expected. You know, maybe you remember being a child at Christmas. I never had this experience. My parents are here today, so I'm just going to say this was somebody else. But, you know, maybe this was you, you know, at Christmas when you were like, you were hoping for that one gift and, and you got knitted underwear from Grandma again. You're still scratching from the last wool pair, right? And you're like, this is, this was not what I wanted. This is not what I expected. You know, we watch YouTube videos of people who think it's a great idea to get engaged at sporting events or whatever, and so you see them on the one knee, you know, will you marry me? And then she said no, and walks away, and you're just like, everybody feels awkward, and, and uh, you just, you watch, you're like, oh, man. You know, the next line in his head was, that's not how I hoped this was going to go. That is not what I expected the answer to be. And sometimes those are, you know, humorous for us who aren't living them. But for those who are living things, there's lots of things that are not, not funny, not humorous at all. Things that you didn't hope for, things that you didn't expect. For those who face addictions, you know, you're like, I didn't expect to be powerless over a substance. That, that's not what I hoped for when I first tried it. That, that's not how I thought this was going to go. For others, it's maybe, you know, thinking, I didn't expect my marriage to fail. I, I, that, that's not what I hoped for. That's not what I was expecting, that my kids would get sick. I didn't expect my parents to get divorced. I didn't hope for that. I didn't expect that accident to happen. I didn't hope or expect to lose my job. That's not, that's not what I hoped for at all. I actually hoped for all of the opposite, and yet this is what happened, because there's those things that, that, that happen sometimes that disappoint us, even though it was something we hoped for. You know, and this is the times and the moments when people most need hope, because it may not just be you in this room, but maybe people you know, people you're close to. It's when we most need this thing called hope. But for so many, that's when hope is gone. It's when, when marriage is over, when, the, you know, when that person you were praying for died, when the thing that didn't go the way it wanted, all of a sudden that hope seems to be no longer there. It seems to disappear. Well, um, G.K. Chesterton said this, He's an author a, a long time ago, hundreds of years ago. Well, not hundreds. Um, right around the time C.S. Lewis. So anyways, says some interesting stuff. 
But here's one of his thoughts. G.K. Chesterton said this, hope means hoping when things are hopeless. Hope means hoping when things are hopeless or it's of no virtue at all. As long as matters are hopeful, hope is mere flattery or platitude. I was asking last night, what's platitude? Because I didn't know. Anybody know what platitude is? Last night they texted me, it's a platypus with attitude. And I was like, that's not, <laughs> that's not what it is. It's, it's, this, it's this thought that it's, it's uh, like a cliche that just sort of ends the conversation. You know, hey, just, you know, just, uh, oh, hey, we're, we're hoping for the best. You know, or just uh, hope against hope or whatever. It's a saying that sounds good, but it's powerless. It's like, it's how to get out of a conversation that's awkward, but it really doesn't have any substance. He says, you know, as long as matters are hopeful, then just saying, hey, you don't have hope, whatever. It's merely flattery or platitude. It's only when everything is hopeless that hope begins to be an, a strength. The thought sometimes, because we look around our world sometimes and find people that face hopeless situations have just given up hope. And yet it's in those moments that we need it the most. Um, I was listening to a friend of mine. He's, uh, he's a uh, pastor from Clyde, Alberta. Uh, and he's, uh, he has a podcast, and so I tuned in this week just to listen to it. He's going through the book of Acts, and as I was listening, he's telling the story from Acts chapter 27, and I was like intrigued by it, because Acts 27 is, is the story where a, a man named Luke, Luke was a first century historian, he uh, was traveling with a man named Paul and a few others, and he was taking notes as they were going. He had his travel journal, you know, every day he was jotting down some of his notes, didn't realize he was writing the Bible at that point, but he was writing some stuff down, uh, uh, these different notes. And we have his journal, and he tells a story of this, of this time where they were traveling from Jerusalem to Rome. Paul was on trial. They were traveling together. It was a risky time to be traveling the Mediterranean Sea in a boat. Uh, storms were likely uh, it was close to winter. Most people weren't traveling uh, too much during that time, but they decided they were going to travel anyways. Uh, and so it was kind of against their will. The people who were taking them to this trial said, we're going to go. And so Acts chapter 27, you can read along with us. That's what it's called in, in, our, in, in, in our Bibles. It's, it's called Acts. Acts chapter 27, verse 20. If you have it on your phone or whatever, you can, you can follow along. It says this, the, the terrible storm raged for many days. They were in this place. Uh, in, in, on the ship in an incredible storm. It says for about two weeks, but it says it raged for many days. It was blotting out the sun and the stars until at last all hope was gone. See, back, like nowadays when we travel, we've got instrumentation for figuring out where we're going. Then they didn't. All they had was the sun and the stars. If you can't see the sun and stars, you don't know where you're going. We'll try that for two weeks, just going in circles in a storm. And finally, after a, a couple weeks of this, there's like, we give up. There is no more hope for us. It says all hope was gone. No one had eaten for a long time. And finally, Paul called the crew together and said, Men, you should have listened to me in the first place and not left Crete. Earlier on in the story, that's what he told them. You know, you never know that Paul was one of those, hey, I told you so. You know, and you maybe you find somebody who's in a storm, you're like, yeah, I told you, son. You shouldn't hang out with those people. This, this is your lot. This is why it's going. I told you so. There's more to the story. He says, you know, I told you so. You should not have left um, Crete. You would have avoided all this damage and loss. But then he says in verse 22, but take courage. None of you are going to lose your lives. And the ship was full of people. He says, even though the ship's going to go down. He's like, the ship's sinking, but none of you are going are to die. Like, well, Paul, how do, you, how, do you, how do you make that kind of statement? That's kind of like saying, hey, they're there. It's going to be okay. You know, everybody, we're, we're all going to make it. It's going to be good. And Paul doesn't say it just because he thinks so. He says this in verse 23, For last night an angel of the God to whom I belong 
and to whom I serve, stood beside me. And that messenger said, don't be afraid, Paul, for you will surely stand trial before Caesar. He's I'm promising you that. What's more, God in his goodness has granted safety to everyone who's sailing with you. So take courage, he says to the men, for I believe God. It will be just as he said. It doesn't matter what it looks like right now in the storm. It doesn't matter what yesterday looked like. I know you've been puking for days, but it's, it, it doesn't matter. It will be just as he said. He says, but we'll be shipwrecked on an island. And he says to them, you know, shortly after that, he, he says, hey, let's, let's, let's have a bite to eat. You guys haven't eaten in days. Let's, let's have a bite to eat. And uh, because we're not there yet, but soon. We aren't saved yet, but soon. That same, that same Paul was encouraging them to keep their hope alive. And I guess that's the title of today's message is keep hope alive. Keep hope alive. You know, the reason you can finish reading the story and realize that that's exactly what happened. They actually hit, and if you look at the map, they hit a tiny little island called Malta. You know, had they been, you know, 10 miles either side, they would have been for, for weeks lost at sea. Probably never survived. But they hit this little island called Malta. The ship did get destroyed. And the reason we know all that is because they survived it and they, they wrote the story. Nobody writes stories back then about stuff that didn't happen. Luke's writing this. He's saying, this is, this is what happened. We knew it was going to happen. It had actually happened. And we have that document today, which is pretty, pretty incredible. Paul is encouraging them, keep hope alive. But he would later write to, to these groups of ch- Jesus followers. They called them, we call them churches, but they were gatherings of Jesus followers, much like today, gathering in a place. He wrote a letter to them. One of them was in a, in a place called Ephesus. And he wrote to them saying, listen, I know you, you guys are going to need, you need hope. You need hope. You need to understand what hope is. And here's what he says to them in Ephesians 1.18. He said, I just want to pray for you guys. And, you know, it's Paul, when he prays for people, it wasn't like so often we do. You know, somebody's going through something like, okay, I'll be praying for you. And then you leave. And then if you remember, you pray for them. But so often it's like, yeah, I'll pray for you. And that's kind of like that same cliche of, okay, that was awkward. You know, let's, let's go to happier people. No? Just pastors do that? Oh. Paul says, listen, I'm praying for you, but here's what I'm praying for you. He's like, I'm praying that that your heart will be flooded with light. And he says, so that you can understand, that you can understand the confident hope he has given to those he's called. So you're a Jesus follower. He says, you got something incredible in you called hope. He says, my prayer is that you would understand what that kind of hope actually is. That the, the hope that he's given to the holy people who are his, um, who are his, who he's called, who is the rich and glorious inheritance that he's given them. He said, I want you to understand hope is part of something I've given you. But he says, I want you to just understand what that is because it's not just about having hope. See, we have hope that gets disappointed. And he says, that's not the kind of hope I'm talking about. It's a certain kind of hope that isn't disappointed. It's a certain kind of hope that Paul actually describes as something that lasts forever. You know, in 1 Corinthians 13, if you've been to a wedding, you've probably heard it. He talks about love. And, and the, last, the last verse of that love chapter says this. Um, These three things last forever. Faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. But that doesn't mean the other two aren't pretty great. You know, greatest might be love, but he says faith and hope. These things last forever. Hope that lasts forever. For so many, hope has a has a time frame. You, like, I'm hoping, I'm hoping, I'm hoping that this is going to go differently. And then when it doesn't, well, then all hope is gone. Situations people go through where there was hope and then there's no longer. 
He says, there's a hope that lasts forever. Paul wrote to the Romans in Romans 15, verse 4. And he writes about the purpose of the Old Testament, the purpose of the Jewish uh, uh, scriptures and literature that we have. It's all the stuff at the beginning, stuff sometimes you read like, I don't, I don't understand that. Like that stuff's like, I just don't get it. Paul says, let me explain why it's written to Jesus followers or, or the benefit of it. He says this, he says, such things were written in the scriptures long ago to teach us. He says, but those scriptures give us hope and they encourage us as we, as we wait patiently for God's promises to be fulfilled. He's like saying, listen, what you read back then, there's a, it gives you hope to realize a few things. It gives you some hope to realize that the God keeps his promises and the ones that he's made to you, he will keep. And so there's a group of songwriters back in, in the day, 3,000 years ago. They wrote songs for the, for the Jewish people to sing. Uh, there was a time when they were going through some difficult stuff. The songwriters are having a difficult day. And so they write it into a song that they make everyone sing. You know, it's like the, you're, you're having a tough day and you just tell everybody so that they can all get on board. Well, they, they make this song. Here, it's, it's found in Psalm 42. And Psalm 42, they start by saying this, My heart is breaking. Well, it's verse 4, but he says, my heart is breaking. Ever been there? It's like, man, it's difficult. He says, my heart is breaking. I remember how it used to be. You know, right now, things are not good. He says, but before, things were really good, and, and here's how it was. He says, I remember, I remember that I, I walked among the crowds of worshipers. I was the leader of a great procession to the house of God. Everything was going right. I was singing for joy. I was giving thanks amid the sound of a great celebration. It was me and my peeps. We were like, we were doing great. And we were celebrating. Life was awesome. And he says, but not now. Not now. And so then he asked himself this question. Why am I so discouraged? Why is my heart so sad? Why is it breaking inside me? He says, I will put my hope in God. I will praise him again, my Savior and my God. He says, now, now I'm deeply discouraged, but I will remember you. Even from the distant Mount Hermon, he begins to talk about the fact that he, he's, he's saying, I, can, I, I, I start, as I remind myself, I start hearing and I start remembering your love for me. He says, even from the distant Mount Hermon, the source of the Jordan, from the, um, from the land of Mount Miser, he says, those, those things aren't important. He says this, he says, I hear the tumult of the raging seas as your waves and your surging tides sweep over me. We sing a song here sometimes called, like a hurricane. Your love's like fierce. It's like, it's powerful. He's, we sing that to remind you because there's days where you're like, I don't even know if God loves me. He's like, you know, my, my, my day is not going well. But he says, I remember, and I says, it's like I hear it. I, it's like I sense your love for me. Verse 8, he says, each day the Lord pours his unfailing love upon me. And through each night, I sing his songs. I'm praying to the God who gives me life. And he ends this song by saying, so why am I discouraged? Why am I so discouraged? Oftentimes, it's our eyes are on that storm and our hope is going down. He says, but why am I so discouraged? Why is my heart so sad? I'll put my hope in God. I will praise him again, my Savior and my God. You know, sometimes there's no, there's no, no one there to encourage you to keep hope alive. Sometimes you've got to be the one to keep hope alive for you to remind yourself of who God is. And it's like Isaiah would later write this famous, this famous thought, Isaiah 40, verse 29. It says, he gives, God gives power to the weak. When you're feeling weak, God can give you power. He says, to the, and he gives strength to those who are powerless. He says, even youth will become weak and tired. Young men will fall in exhaustion. And then here's the coffee mug verse. The part you know, but those who what? 
Those who trust in the Lord, those who hope in the Lord, those who wait for, those who look for, those who are expecting in the Lord will find new strength. They'll soar high on wings like eagles. They'll run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. And both of these people, both of these authors, and throughout the, the scriptures, you, you see this thought that, that hope for and hope in are the two different things that they're talking about. For us, there's so much of this hope for. We hope for the situation to get better. We hope for things. And he says, that's not the kind of hope that'll last forever. He says, there's a, there's a hope in that will last forever. He says, why do we need hope that lasts forever? Because we last forever. I don't know if you realize that. We, we last forever. It's not just about this time on this planet. He says that's this idea of hoping um, in something rather than hoping for something. And those lyrics from the, the Christmas carol come to mind. Long lay the world in sin and error pining. Pining means suffering like the, uh, a mental and physical decline. It's like it's bad and it's getting worse. Long lay the world in this, 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 this um, frame of mind of it's getting worse. Things are feeling hopeless. Sometimes it's because of our own doing, you know. Long lay the world in sin and error pining. If you've made an error that's been costly, I got to experience that this week. I had an inspector come to check out my insulation in the basement, and they recognized and helped me realize that I had made a grievous error. I had forgot to put a barrier behind my insulation. And now they're saying you may have to take all the walls down and start over. That's a mistake. Could be a costly mistake. But then there's the other side of it. There's that thing called sin. Sin and error pining. See, a lot of us, we have some mistakes that cost us. But he says there's, there's more to this hopeless thing. It's this thing called sin. It's that, that thing where we make the same mistake over and over and over again. It would be like me fixing my walls and then fixing it the same way that I did it the first time. So this time, I'm not telling them. And then they come and they look and they're like, ah, you have to do it again. Like, oh, and, I'm, and then do it again the same way and find tricky ways or whatever. It's, that's what sin is. Sin is this thing that we knew it was wrong, yet we did it again and again. And what we didn't realize is that sin had like a, a price. It had like a gotcha. It was like a bait and switch. It was like, this is going to be great. And then it wasn't so great. You're like, oh, this is, this is going this is gonna, like, to give me all the pleasure that I hoped for. And then why is it that right after that, you just feel crappy? That's what sin does. And he says, and it just keeps taking you lower and lower and lower. So sometimes people realize, oh, I, I'm out of hope. You know, it's, last, last night, our prayer team met in a portable, and we were praying and just had this sense to pray for people who feel like God doesn't love them. So many, they have this feeling like, I'm, I'm not trying to avoid God. I just don't think he wants me. If God knows me like you say he does, then he, he doesn't want any part of this. I know that my life is messy. I know that I don't have it all. I'm not a good enough person. And they draw away from God as a result. We thought, you know, that sometimes a prayer is God like, my life's a messy situation. I don't really feel like there is hope for what I'm going through. And as God would say to you, like he said to so many, listen, I've waded into messy situations before. <laughs> Yours is not the first messy life I'm walking into. Not the first messy situation I've been invited into. 
hollow Christmas. Long lay the world in a sin and error-filled mess. And he waded in and said, we're going to start here. We're going to start here. You know, that thrill of hope when all of a sudden it's like, ah, I don't, there isn't any, and then there is. That's why it's a thrill of hope, because someone came. Matthew wrote the words and described Jesus as this. They said, his name will be called the hope of the world, because the hope for is not what we need. It's a hope in someone, a hope in some, someone greater than us. The need that we have is not just a hoping for the best attitude. It's not like the guy who's like, ah, you know, it's, it's all good. Where's the pony? That's not, we're not trying to help you have a better attitude. Because that won't carry you. We want to connect you with a person who, as you put your hope in him, you realize that things um, can actually change in your life. There's, a, there's a, a man who went to his son's baseball game, and he got there a little bit late. And as he arrived at the baseball game, he saw the score, 18 to nothing. And there's his son holding on to the backstop, just looking at the field. And he walks up to his son. He's like, oh, son, 18 to nothing, eh? He's like, oh, yeah, don't worry, Dad, though. We haven't got up to bat yet. They think, oh, you know, that kid might have hope, but not enough. And that's sometimes the thing that we say, hey, you know, it's, it's okay. It's going to be okay. And we're like, hey, just, you know, keep hope alive. And, but he's like, you know what? There's something deeper than that. He says, I want you to hope in someone, someone greater than you. I just want to leave you with three quick thoughts, a reason to keep hope alive. The reason to have a hope in Christ is this, that, that God keeps his promises. It's what we've seen all the time. People may have not kept their promises to you. People may have not kept their vow to you. You may not have kept your promises to you. I promise I'm never going to do that again. Okay, I promise I'm never ever going to do that again. You let yourself down. God doesn't. He keeps his promises. Sometimes you're like, yeah, but God didn't. Too often people are, are, are thinking God um, didn't keep his promises. I would encourage you to look a little deeper and see if he promised that. Sometimes we think, oh, God, you know, God promised to heal everyone. That's not a promise. You know, there's things where, where God's going to answer all my prayers. I think that's in the Bible somewhere. And he didn't. That's not a promise. But the promises, he'll keep them. He will keep the promises he made to you. He kept the promise to Abraham and, and, uh, for years that I will send a Savior and Abraham's like waiting in his lifetime. It didn't happen in his lifetime. It didn't happen for hundreds of years, but he kept his promise. That's why we celebrate Christmas, because he kept his promise. He says, I'll, I'll give you hope that doesn't disappoint. He'll, he'll keep his promises. You can trust that. Take that to the bank. The second thought is that God loves you. One reason to have hope in him is you have hope in someone who loves you. One who, for God so loved the world so much that he sent his son for you. You can count on the fact that he is for you and that he loves you. He's the one who promised that he would never leave or never forsake. That means when you're in the storm, means you're not alone in the storm, that he is with you. We think, well, God, if you're with me, I wouldn't be in the storm. Not true. Not true. You'll be in the storm, but your hope can remain because it's in him, in him. He's with you. The one who promised that he would prepare a place for you after this life is what Jesus told his disciples. I'm going to prepare a place for you, I promise. And when, I'm, when, I'm, when it's time, I'm going to come get you. I promise. See, the thing that I think we fail to recognize often is that life is more than just about here. We look at our lives and our situations, and the reason we lose hope is we think it's all about here and now. And it is not. It is not. The fact that you are eternal, the fact that there is hope that lasts 
forever is because we are. Paul wrote this and said in 1 Corinthians 15, 19, he said, if our hope in Christ is only for this life, if that's why we're doing this, just for this life, he says, we're more to be pitied than anyone in the world. The idea of being a Jesus follower isn't just so that you would be a better behaved person. The idea wasn't so that we would fill up buildings on Sunday mornings with people who just wish they were somewhere else. That's not what this thing was about. He says, it's way bigger than this. It's not even just about the situation you're in right now. It's about eternity. It is about eternity. What if we looked at things in our life, the things we're going through in our life with eternal significance, that that hope that lasts forever because we last forever. It's not just the situation that you're in right now. Hope says, I haven't seen it yet, but I will soon. Hope's that thing that carries people through hopeless situations. I may not have seen it yet, but I will see it soon. And soon is a relative word, just to be fair. Jesus told his disciples, I'm coming soon. That was 2,000 years ago. I may not have seen it yet, but I will see it soon. I will see it soon. That we would live this life in light of eternal life. The story I shared last year at Christmas, and I just want to leave it with you. As I was reminded of it, I just want to leave it with you. I think it's a great picture, a great picture of hope, great picture of this. It was a young lady who was in a hospital. She was in her 20s. She was terminal, and as she asked uh, her pastor to come and talk to her, um, they had said, we're praying for, you know, we're praying for healing, but she says, yeah, but let's plan for my funeral. She said, I have some thoughts. And he was like, okay, what, what, would, what do you want said? She's like, it's not what I want said. There's something I want done. She's like, I would like to be buried with a fork in my hand. And, said, and she says, and this is what I want you to tell people. She's like, that's kind of a strange thought. And he, so he asked her, why, why? And she says, he, she says, I've just loved, there's certain memories that I have in my life that, that I enjoy the most. So I loved getting together for family dinners. And I loved when, you know, we went out for dinner. But my favorite part of dinner was when either my mom or the waitress or whoever it was would come to the table, clear all the dishes, and they would say, keep your fork. Because then I knew that the best was yet to come. That dessert was on the way. And she says, I want people to know that when I go into the ground, that is not the end that I take that fork because I know the best is yet to come. My hope is not just for this situation I'm in. My hope is in eternity. My hope is eternal. My hope lasts forever because I believe I last forever. It's a powerful thought. What a powerful, powerful thought. You know, and the message is not just for you this morning. Maybe it is for you. Maybe you're going, last night we had people come up after who were just like, Mark, I am in that place of just about hope being gone. And having a chance to chat with some, there's a few. But can I tell you that it's bigger than that? Because maybe you're here this morning. There was a quote that I read this week that just said, for some, you know, you're in the sun, and it's nice for you to believe in hope. For those of us who are in the shadows, we're desperate, and we need it. And maybe for you, your life is going well, and things are going well. And for you, it's like, hey, you know, it's, it's, all, it's all okay. This message is, is more than just just for you and just for me. Paul wrote this to the Romans. It's the last thought. He's like, I'm praying for you that God, who's the source of hope, would fill you so completely with joy and peace because you trust in him. He says, then you will overflow with confident hope through the power of Holy Spirit. That you would keep hope alive. Not just that you would keep hope alive in you. And, and for, for some of you, maybe you need to remind yourself, just like the psalmist did. Why am I so down? I'm gonna put my hope in God. I don't care what I'm going through. God, I'm putting my hope in you. I've got my eyes on you through this. Whether this, however this turns out here, I, my hope is in you to where this matters for eternity. 
Maybe you need to remind others, like Paul standing on that ship saying, fellas, we're not there yet, but soon let's have a bite to eat because we are going to get there. Just that encouragement of saying for others, maybe for you, just need to be reminded to overflow with hope. That you're the person that everybody, you know, is uh, uh, that when you're in your scenarios and situations, you're like that guy. Hey, where's the pony? The ones where people are like, I'm desperate for something and I don't even know where to look. There's something about that guy. There's something about that. What is it about you? So our hope as we celebrate Christmas next week, and the reason we have the candlelight services is not just so that you guys can have a nice feeling service here with all the candles and the little children. And it is way bigger than that. It is the possibility that lives will be changed for eternity. And they're not going to come unless somebody invites them. So would you this week, as you walk out into a weary, broken, hopeless world, would you go out there with the hope that you have in him? Would you simply invite people? Do you know what? This is the least the least courageous invitation to make. <laughs> Most people will say yes to going to church on Christmas and Easter, hands down, just in case. Like this is the, this is the simplest invitation. It could be a life-changing invitation. It could be life-changing simply because there's hope. So this morning to a world that struggles in darkness, there is hope to a world that's living in hopeless situations, there really is hope. And, you know, the the ones who've given up hope around you, there really is hope. It's the message of Christmas. Hope has arrived, and it's a person. You can have hope in him. My prayer is that this wasn't just a message you got to hear. My prayer for you is that you would understand the hope that you have in him. That whatever you face, you put your trust in him. That you would overflow with hope as you go out into the world this week. That your light, that light of hope would just shine to those around you. That you guys would be the ministers in this world. That you would live out your faith. And that others would come to faith as a result. Find out how you did next week. Pray. Jesus, thank you. Thank you that you're the hope of the world. That you're my hope. Thank you that no matter what we face in this life, it's not about this life. Thank you so, so much for uh, the eternal hope that we have in you. Thank you for salvation. Thank you for freedom. Thank you that it does affect our lives here. God, thank you for the opportunity to, to work with you as your children, as your family, as your body. As we go out into this world, Lord, may they see you in us. Jesus, may they see you in me this week how we respond to situations and how we respond to people. May they see your love through us this week. Father, we pray for next week. Pray for those whose hearts you're drawing on as they come across our path. Would you give us the, the, the ears to hear as you prompt us by your spirit? Would you give us the courage to obey? God, and if anything good comes out of it, we just give you the glory for that just because of you in your name that we pray and in your name that we go. Amen.